scripture reading from this morning is Psalm 116, verses 1 through 9. The psalmist says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That psalm sets the tone for the message that I'm about to preach from the book of Luke chapter 11. And I would encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 11 in a Bible. If you didn't bring one with you today, that's fine. We've got them all over the room here. Pull one out from the chair that's in front of you. Luke is towards the, the, well, it's really about three quarters of the way through the Bible. And you can find Luke chapter 11, and I'll be preaching from Luke 11 verses 1 through 13. But I want to say just a word or two about Psalm 116 before we go there. Because we as a church believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And when the psalmist says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, we would say, if you have believed in Christ, the cry for mercy was the cry, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Because the blood of Jesus was shed so that I could have that forgiveness. And Jesus was raised so that I could be justified, so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be made right before God and have the righteousness of Christ given to me. And so believers pray, loving the Lord because he has heard us. And because he has heard us, verse 2 of Psalm 116 says, Therefore I will call on him as long as I live. So because God has heard your cry for forgiveness and for peace, you continue to call out to God. You continue to talk to Him. You bring your every need to Him. And so today, as we go to the book of Luke, we're going to find Jesus teaching about prayer. And as I begin my my message in Luke, I want to just ask you a question, and and I'd like you to, to answer as best you can, Honestly, have you ever felt guilty about prayer? Has a pastor ever made you feel guilty about prayer? As if perhaps you did not pray enough, or you did not pray in the right way. And if that's you today, and I see some of you are actually nodding your heads, and that's, that's helpful, I have felt that way as well. That I, I just, I don't spend enough time in prayer that I don't always pray for the right things. And in fact, sometimes the Bible confronts that in us, and it says you do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you ask from wrong motives because you are selfish. And, and sometimes that's true. But if you feel guilty about prayer today, my prayer is that you would feel so encouraged and blessed as a result of this message that you would not leave feeling like, oh, I've got to try harder. But you would leave excited because you know the Father's heart to answer your prayers and you are excited about the kind of God who listens to us as we pray. And you would be excited because of the teaching of Christ that is intended to help us know how to pray. Not to lay a burden of guilt on you, but to give you help so that you can pray. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus' teaching on prayer. Luke 11 follows the story of Mary and Martha. 
And you remember last week we talked about the priority that the Word of God must have in our church and everywhere where the gospel ministry continues to spread. Jesus said about Mary who was sitting at his feet listening to his teaching, she had chosen the one thing that was necessary, listening to the teaching of Christ. And it's fitting that immediately following that, chapter 11 then teaches us how to pray. Because after you sit under the teaching of Christ, after you hear the word of God and hear what God says, it only makes sense that you then turn and talk to the Father about what you have heard. And so prayer is us answering God as God has spoken to us in and through his word. And the disciples come to Christ admitting that they don't know how to pray, and Jesus gives them this help. So I want to encourage you to read the first four verses of Luke chapter 11 with me, and then we'll look at them carefully together. Luke 11, 1 says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Some of you are familiar with with the Lord's Prayer, probably from Matthew's Gospel. Or maybe you were part of a church where they said the Lord's Prayer often. And so you may feel, after I've read this from Luke's Gospel, man, we skipped some stuff. The reality is, Jesus, as a teacher and a preacher that went from town to town and village to village, preached and taught the same material everywhere he went. And if you look at Matthew's gospel, he's addressing a large crowd. And in the context of Matthew's gospel, he's giving all of his teaching. And so you find prayer as part of what Jesus was preaching, really as he went everywhere from place to place. But here, we find a smaller setting where Jesus is focusing just with his disciples, just with a few people, and he's teaching them more directly. And what you find is that it is similar but a little bit shorter. And really, that is fantastic for you and for me. Because what this does is it gives us a great place to start. Someday, years from now, I may teach through Matthew's gospel, and and we'll talk in more detail about what Jesus says there. There are a few things that aren't here, and and that'll be for another day. But for today, we're going to be blessed through what Christ taught here in Luke, in the privacy of, of just his disciples, humbly asking him, Lord, Teach us to pray. Jesus' ministry was characterized by prayer from the beginning to the end. He prayed before he chose the disciples. He prayed as conflict was rising in his ministry. A few times we've seen the Lord go off privately and pray by himself. Luke includes this at the beginning of chapter 11. Later in the gospel, he will pray in the garden of Gethsemane. He will say, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And he will pray on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. From the beginning all the way through to the end, Jesus modeled how to pray. And his disciples, observing his example then wanted to be able to put it into practice better, and so they asked him for teaching, and this is his response. Luke shows how God responds to the prayers of Christ, to the prayers of God's people, and the truth is that God is still responding. And so the disciples asking Jesus how to pray give us an opportunity to learn the same thing that they learned. And I would encourage you, we've read through this, to think of these as general instructions. 
most people do not think that Jesus wanted our prayer life to just be saying these exact words over and over again. In fact, Jesus cautioned against vain repetition or, or saying something that did not have meaning. And so my goal in the next couple of moments is to treat the lines of this prayer almost like bullet points or as like a little outline to help us as we talk to God to think about what we ought to say. And I want to make sure that we understand each of those bullet points so that our prayers are meaningful, that we're not just saying something that we don't understand and that we can use them to help us. Each of these could be summarized as praise or requesting or confessing. So it begins with praising God. It moves to asking God or requesting things from God. It moves to confessing our sins and then again to to requesting protection. And notice, first, Jesus says, Hallowed be your name. Father, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed is not a word that we ever use. And so we run the risk of saying something without thinking about what it actually means. And I looked at one translation that that rendered it this way. It said, Father, let your name be honored as holy. And that's good. I like that. But in one sense, it only kicks the can further down the road because we have to talk about what does it mean that God's name is holy? How do we honor God's name as holy? And so what I did as I was preparing this message is I searched for two phrases throughout the entire Bible. One of them was just the phrase, my name. And you see again and again, Genesis to Revelation, how God zealously protects his name and his reputation. I would encourage you to do the same type of study because I'm only going to give you just a small portion of what I found. The other search that I, that I did that was very helpful was looking at the phrase, the name of the Lord. And you can see again and again how people called on the name of the Lord, how God defines and explains what the name of the Lord is, how it can be honored as holy, and how it can also be profaned. And so I'm just going to give you a sample but I would encourage you to dig a little deeper because there's more than I have time to give you. So this morning, the name of God is shown to be a savior. One of the first times, think for just a moment, because humanity has been separated from God by sin, there was a time when people did not know the name of God. It meant they did not have a relationship with him. They were strangers. They were separated. And so as the Bible begins, after the fall, after sin, after Genesis 3, there's a time period when people just don't know who God is. And you find a woman who has been abandoned and she's in distress. She and her son are in danger of dying. And God in his mercy provides for them and rescues them. Her name is Hagar. And Hagar is one of the first people in the Bible to give God a kind of name. And she did that based on what God had done for her. And Hagar says, you are the God who sees. Hagar says, you have seen me and rescued me. And so often when you and I are depressed or afraid or hurt or scared, we feel like God does not see us. But the reality is, He does. And we honor God's name as holy when we call out to Him, trusting that He does see us. And we do not treat God's name as holy when we act as if He does not care or if he is indifferent. So God's name is holy 
when you recognize that he is good and he does see. You can also think of the opening chapters of the book of Exodus. And I preached through the book of Exodus last year. Those first few chapters are full of pain and suffering. And God's people call out to him in prayer and ask for his deliverance and ask for him to rescue. And it says, and God saw and God knew and God rescued Exodus chapter 9 verse 16 is addressed to Pharaoh and God says to Pharaoh, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name will be proclaimed in all the earth. He rescued slaves who could not help themselves and in his power punished evil. You can think of the dramatic moments from the Exodus story, how God parted the Red Sea, literally parted water so that over a million people could walk through an ocean on dry land. That's the name of God. It's a savior. It's it's a powerful name. And God rescued his people and, and even raised up Pharaoh so that people would know not only does God see, but God has the power to rescue. He has the power to help. And later in the Exodus story, You remember Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments are revealed and and there's thunder and there's smoke and the earth is shaking and the people are afraid of the presence of God. Moses asks to see God's face and God says to him, my goodness will pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So God is a God of grace. He is a God of mercy. And that's part of what it means to call on his name. So he's the God who sees. He's the God of power. He's the God of grace. He's the God of mercy. Those are all bound up in the name of the Lord. But then there are also just amazing stories that show how people trusted in God's name and found deliverance or how people profaned the name of God. And so I wanted to give you just just two of those real quickly. It's David and Goliath. You remember the story of David and Goliath? Goliath is this huge warrior. He's at least nine feet tall. His weapons are described as just massive. And you have to think about how large the man must have been to wield the sword and the spear that he had, and just how huge and intimidating and imposing he was. And David is a shepherd boy, and the Philistines didn't allow the people of Israel to have blacksmiths, so they had no swords, they had no spears of their own. David goes to fight this warrior armed as a shepherd that's really just intended to protect sheep from wild animals. But David says to Goliath... I come to you in the name of the Lord our God. Goliath had profaned the name of God. He was saying that God was weak, that God was unable to help or deliver Israel. So if you think about Jesus' prayer, hallowed be thy name, Goliath is doing the exact opposite. He's profaning the name of God. And David says, no, I'm going to go to the line For the name of my God. Because my God is a savior. And my God is powerful. And David knew that Goliath had crossed a line. And so he went with assurance that God would defend his own name. He fought not for himself. Not just for the people of Israel. But for the name of God. Because David set God's name apart as holy. And when he approaches Goliath. He says that he went, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly, both the Philistine army and the Israeli army that was watching the combat, that they would know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give it into your hand. That's someone setting God's name apart as holy. David risked his life for the name of God because he trusted that God would defend his own name, that he was powerful and that he was willing to save. Think also of Elisha and the prophets of Baal. This is another story from the Old Testament and some of of you will know it, but Elisha is a man of God 
And at that time in Israel, people were worshiping a false god named Baal. And that was a very tempting thing to do because Baal promised all kinds of blessings and he was easy to worship. You did this and he did this. And Elisha, as a godly man, said, we are breaking the clear commands of God to have no other gods before the one true God. And so he challenged the false prophets of this god Baal to a contest, to a challenge. And so there are 400 prophets of Baal. There's one man of God. And Elisha says, let's prepare a sacrifice. But we're not going to set the altar on fire. We're not going to burn the sacrifice ourselves. Let's call on the name of our God. And the God who answers with fire, he is God. And all the people say, this is a great idea. So 400 prophets of Baal, they wail and they cry. They cut themselves with knives because what they're doing is they're trying to get the attention of Baal. They are trying to persuade this false god to do what they're asking him to do. They're trying to earn his favor. And it goes on all day. And Elisha finally says, all right, it's my turn. So the prophets of Baal fail. There's no fire. Their cow is still dead on the altar, unsacrificed. And Elisha says, I'd like some water poured all over my sacrifice. And they drench it and they soak it. And the water fills a trench around the altar. So there's no possibility of trickery. He's not sneaking a little match in trying to prove that God is real. And Elisha kneels and prays and asks God to send fire. And God sends so much fire that not only is the animal completely consumed, but the rocks that make the altar are completely destroyed as God responds in fire. See, Elisha, he honored God's name as holy. He knew that God would defend his own name when his people were forsaking it. The prophets of Baal, they profaned the name of God. And the people of God at that time were profaning the name of God because they didn't trust that he would take care of them. And they didn't trust that he was able to do anything. So think of David. Think of Elisha. They are people who treat God's name as holy. And when we pray, Father hallowed be thy name, or Father, let your name be honored as holy. What we are praying is, first and foremost, in my own life, let me be like David. Let me be like Elisha. Let me live in such a way that it's clear that I trust in you completely. There is no other God like our God, and we want to make that obvious in the way we live. But we're also praying Let your name be honored as holy in our world. That people that do not know you would bow the knee and worship you. That people like the prophets of Baal and like Goliath, who are in opposition, that they would be humbled and repent and find the same grace that we have found. And that they would also turn and praise you as holy and as honored, as absolutely pure as powerful, as good, as a savior. So that's just the first line. Father, hallowed be your name. Let your name be honored as holy. Because sometimes it's not in my life. And often it's not in our world. Let that change. And we are just asking God to make that change, both in us and in our world. Then he says, thy kingdom come. And perhaps that seems like a strange thing for us to pray, especially if you've been paying attention in the book of Luke, because both John the Baptist and Jesus have been ministering, saying the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom is at hand. It's very near, it's very close. And so why are we praying that it would come, especially on this side of the cross? Because we believe that when Jesus died and was raised and ascended into heaven, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So in one sense, the kingdom is now, and yet, it's not yet. You see, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and so in one sense, it's true, the kingdom is now. And yet, 
there are people who do not bow the knee. And in fact, if you look at the the book of Ephesians, Ephesians describes how Satan is given some limited authority in the earth. And the earth is still in rebellion against the creator God. So while the decisive victory has been won because Jesus has died and been raised, the battle is still waging. And in fact, Paul says in Ephesians, and I'm speaking to Christians now, you and I once lived in rebellion. All of us lived in rebellion until God in his mercy opened our eyes and granted us repentance. And so when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're praying, God, open the eyes of people who still live in rebellion. We're asking, Lord, let everyone bow the knee. And we are praying that Jesus would return. May your kingdom come in fullness so that every eye sees and every tongue confesses and every knee bows. Let your kingdom come. Part of that, part of that is let your commands and laws be enforced. There are so many of God's commands that are broken so often. And you and I still struggle to keep the commands of God, even with the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we're praying, Lord, let your authority be real in my life and in our world. Bless us by hearts that long to obey you. And may Jesus be crowned as king, and may it even be today. So he teaches us, and he begins with God, and focuses on God, and praises the Father. And that's the priority. He moves to the kingdom. May the rule of Jesus spread. And then he teaches us to pray for our daily bread. Verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. And notice, this implies daily prayer. Some of us have struggled to learn how to pray. And sometimes we feel like maybe we don't pray often enough. And I think the scripture teaches very clearly We really do need to pray every day. It's not something you do in church only. It's not something that you do only in times of desperation. If Jesus is teaching you to pray for daily bread, you're going to be hungry tomorrow if you don't pray. The implication is you need new things every single day. And this is part of how God meets your needs is in teaching you to call out for them. And in fact, I quoted that verse from James. You have not because you ask not. Sometimes that's true of us. And we wonder, God, why didn't you give me this? Well, And God is saying, you know, why didn't you ask? I would encourage you. One of the things that I, that I hope for out of this message is if you're someone that doesn't pray regularly, that you would make a commitment today before God that you will start to have a regular time of prayer in your life. Maybe it'll be the first thing you do in the morning. For me, it's usually after I've had my first cup of coffee. Maybe it'll be the first thing that you do before bed. For years, that was me. I actually did not do my devotions until late in the day. And I know people that still do things that way. I would strongly encourage you today to commit to a time where you come before the Lord and you honor his name as holy You pray that the church would spread and grow through the preaching of the word as people recognize Jesus as the king. And then you bring your needs before the Father. And I would urge you, make a commitment to begin to do that daily. And I'll say a little bit more about that in just a moment. But but this prayer, the daily bread, is asking for your everyday needs. It's not just food, although that's part of it. But pray for whatever you need, any needs, all needs. I would even say... Ask the Lord for help with your bills. If you need money, ask the Lord to provide. And I can testify that God has blessed us in ways that we did not even expect. God will answer that kind of prayer. But sometimes, sometimes, in his love and mercy, just like your human parents, he'll say, no, you need something bigger than a check. And sometimes he'll say, no. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't ask. So ask him for all of your needs, not just financial. Ask him for friends in your life. God has blessed us with some good friends, and that's a request that we'll pray for our children as well. God, give them friends that will point them to you. So whether it's financial or or relational, ask for the needs of our community, ask for the needs of our world. Jesus teaches us, give us this day our daily bread, and teaches us to daily depend on God for all of our needs. And then he turns 
towards our sins. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And I want to say a word about that last part because it's a little bit confusing. But before I do that, let me just point out, we as Christians, and, and I am addressing this message mostly to people who are already believers in the Lord, we as Christians continue to have a need for confession. I remember one time I was in high school, I heard a guy get up in front of our church and he prayed and he said, Lord, forgive our sins. And I, I got kind of mad. I was like, you know, I'm already a believer. I've asked Jesus to forgive my sins. What is he doing? Like God's already taken care of that. And I, I was so naive and I, and I just failed to realize how sinful I still was and am and that I need to continually ask the Lord to forgive me of my sins. Just because I'm right with God through the blood of Jesus doesn't mean I'm made perfect. Not yet. One day, but not yet. And so while we're in this life, we continually need to ask the Lord and each other for forgiveness. And if you're in a place where you feel like, you know, I don't even know what to say sorry for. I don't, I don't, I'm not a big sinner or whatever. You need a friend. You need someone close to you. Because maybe you are blind to the sins that you are committing. But by the grace of God, someone else can come alongside and say, Hey, brother. Hey, sister. This is an area that you do need to confess. And I want to urge you, this is an easy thing to miss. We often pray to God to help us with our needs, but rarely pray to God for the forgiveness of our sins. And Jesus teaches us this is something that we need to do daily. Not only that, he says this, this somewhat confusing statement. He says, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And it almost makes it seem like we're bargaining with God. Like, dear Lord, you must forgive me because I've forgiven everyone around me. Which is a crazy statement to make. Because how many people here still wrestle with forgiveness? I know I'm one of them. There, there's a person, thank you, thank, so there are two of us, that... There's a person that I have to work with daily to forgive again and again. Because every time I think of what this person did, I'm like, oh, man. And I get mad all over again. And then I have to forgive all over again. That's just an ongoing reality. And so if I'm wrestling with that, Jesus says that, that God is going to forgive me. And that is in relation to my willingness to forgive other people. Now that's confusing. Because when someone comes to Jesus and says, how can I be saved? Jesus never says, just go forgive everyone in your life. You'll be saved. That's not the answer. He's addressing this to his followers. Remember the, the message of John, and I, maybe you need to go reread that, the beginning of this gospel. John preaches repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So when Jesus steps on the stage, the people that begin to follow Jesus are already people who have repented. They've already received forgiveness of sins. His followers are already believing that God forgives their sins. And Jesus teaches with absolute clarity that you need to extend the same grace you have received to other people. For believers, forgiveness is not an option. Remember Luke 6.37. We've already talked about it just a few chapters ago. Jesus says, forgive and you will be forgiven. He's speaking to his followers. That's how it works. Matthew 16, 15, maybe one of the most troubling verses in the Bible says, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus is so clear that God expects us to extend the same grace to others that he has given to us. Jesus welcomes all of us as sinners, but he does not want us to remain in sin. And if we ask God for forgiveness, we would be hypocrites if we do not extend the same forgiveness to other people. So this prayer is the prayer of a believer, someone who's already following Christ. And you and I are instructed that we have to forgive because God has forgiven us. And as we depend on the grace and the mercy of God, that has a direct influence on our prayers. And if we pray this daily, it's a 
daily reminder that God cares not only about us being right with him and having a relationship with him, he cares very much about us being right with each other and forgiving each other. And so if you pray this prayer on a daily basis, you will have to seek peace with people who have hurt you. You will have to seek peace. And maybe you say, you know, I don't know if I can do that. Maybe the person that hurts you is dead. Maybe there's a good reason that you shouldn't talk to that person. Maybe it's an abuser. That doesn't mean that you can't forgive in your own heart and seek help. If you need help with that, talk to someone that you respect in the church. Talk to someone with wisdom. Maybe they'll go with you. Maybe they'll counsel you and say, you know, seek the Lord in your own heart. Do what he leads you to do. But maybe you don't need to meet with that person in person. But you do need to forgive. Finally, Jesus says, lead us not into temptation. And this is a, another one of those phrases that sometimes is kind of startling. People like, why would God do that? But in reality, Scripture teaches that he uses temptation to, to mature believers. But what we're really asking is like the psalmist's praise in Psalm 19. It says, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. What that means is that my heart still loves sin. And so does yours. We all wrestle with it. We will until we see Jesus face to face. So this prayer is asking God, keep us from sins that we want to commit. God, rescue us in our daily war with sin. We depend on God to keep us from sin, just like we depend on God to save us for all eternity. All of us are tempted by sin daily. It only makes sense that we would ask our loving Heavenly Father for help. Like the hymn writer says, Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That is our prayer. That as we go in this world, that that God would keep us so close to himself that the things that we long to do that are wrong, we would not even be able to do them by the grace and mercy of God. So this is Jesus' outline. These are the little bullet points. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Meet our needs. Forgive our sins. Protect us. Keep us safe from temptation. Don't let us fall into sin. Now, I said at the beginning, I don't want to guilt anybody. All of us can grow in following this. And if if that's something that you need to do, I would encourage you to do a couple things. Uh, Some of you ought to memorize this, if you've never memorized it, because it will help you as you think about praying. Some of you... Maybe you just need to write it on a little card and then keep that card in your Bible. And you can pull it out and look at it. And as you pray to the Lord, you don't have to say the same words, but you might just spend a time praising God, praising God for his kindness. You might spend a little bit of time praying, you know, thy kingdom come. That's a way that we would pray, Lord, let your church grow. Let First Baptist Church of Holly grow. Let the river grow. Let the rock grow. Let your kingdom, not just our church, let your kingdom grow. Pray for people who don't know the Lord, that they would come to know the Lord. That's how God's kingdom grows until the return of Christ. Pray for specific people you love. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a son or a daughter. But this is how we pray your kingdom come. Spend some time asking for the forgiveness of your sins and be specific. If you have a sin that that Satan loves to throw and accuse you, just confess it to God and know that God will forgive you. Spend some time in confession and let this little prayer be a reminder that you need to do each of those things and then daily ask the Lord to deliver you from temptation, whatever your temptations are. So I would encourage you, use this as an outline and commit to using it daily. Now, that's a huge burden. And if you can't do it, you might feel guilty. And I said at the beginning of this message, I don't want you to leave here feeling guilty. So there are two awesome encouragements that Christ gives us. And I want to take just a moment and look at each of them. Look with me at verses 5 through 10. And we're going to see Jesus' 
promise. We just looked at Jesus' prayer list. Let's look at Jesus' promise. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence... He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. This is a promise of God. Jesus does not say... For some people, when they ask, they will receive. He doesn't say for good people and God's favorites. He says, everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. Everyone. This is wide open. And I love his example because twice Jesus is going to show, you and I, we are not really good. But we do the right thing either when we are irritated into it or... When we love our own children, even in our sinfulness, and we do the right thing, not always for the best reasons, but we do it. And God is so much better and so much kinder and so much more generous. We have the confidence and promise of God that when we ask and when we pray, we will receive an answer. And so Jesus is telling them not just how to pray, but giving them motivation, knowing that prayer is hard work. You should not approach God feeling nervous, like, I hope I do this right, because maybe God's not going to answer if I don't get it right. You should approach the Father knowing that your Father's heart is already given to you to bless you and to love you, and to answer. And I want to point out something. I saw this when another pastor pointed it out, and I'd never seen it before, but he was absolutely right. Jesus does not say what you will receive. He doesn't. He says, ask and you will receive. That doesn't mean you receive what you're asking for. If you're a parent, you know sometimes your kid asks for dumb stuff. And you don't give it to them. And God is the same way with us. We get discouraged when we pray and feel like God is not answering. This is saying, just because you didn't get what you asked for, that doesn't mean that God is not answering. He is. Know his heart. He always, always answers your prayers. So be encouraged. Don't feel like your prayers are ineffective. They are always effective. Your heavenly Father is always listening. And that is a promise. Now, so, so we've seen Jesus' prayer list. We've seen Jesus' promise. Now look at the assurance that what God gives you will be good. Look at verses 11 through 13 with me. Jesus says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, as a good Michigander, I thought as, as we were reading the, the verses about, you know, a son asking for a fish instead of a fish, you know, giving him a rattlesnake. We wouldn't do that. If I saw a rattlesnake, I would kill the rattlesnake. I'm not going to give that to my kids. Or if he asked for, for an egg, do you give him a brown recluse? No, I would kill the brown recluse and give him an egg. If we, and Jesus says, and, and Jesus is always kind, but he's always honest. And he just says, you and I, we're, Jesus is not, but you and I, we are evil. And if we do what's right and good for our kids, how much more will the Heavenly Father, who is not evil, who is not tainted by evil in any way, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, this is huge. This is huge. You and I, how many of you have prayed earnestly, God, give me the Holy Spirit? 
it's not real high on our list of things that we want. You know, we, we want help paying rent. We want a, a better marriage. We, we want healing. We, we want lots of things. We don't always ask for the Holy Spirit. So why is Jesus acting like this is, is God's love in giving the Spirit to us? Here's the thing. Okay, the Holy Spirit is the greatest promise in all of the Bible. And here's why. Because, so God gives us his law in the Old Testament, but we can't keep it. We are prone inwardly to sin. We love sin. But when God gives us the Holy Spirit, not only does the blood of Jesus cover our sins so that we can be forgiven, the Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out so that instead of loving sin, we start to say no to sin and we begin to follow Christ and we begin to actually love doing what's right. There are not a lot of people that begin the Christian life loving prayer and Bible study. There are not a lot of people that are raised in church that love listening to sermons. That's not normal. But by the grace of God, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, you begin to love his word. And you do begin loving talking to him in prayer. And so when God gives you the Holy Spirit, he is changing you from a sinner into a saint. Heaven would be awful if you were in the presence of God in your sin. You would hate it. Because you would still want to sin and you would be totally unable to do it. It would be terrible. But God in his mercy gives you the spirit so that you are changed. So that heaven is the greatest joy that you could ever possibly imagine. There's no disappointment that heaven will not heal. There's no joy that you will lack in the presence of God. And the gift of the Holy Spirit gets you ready to be in the presence of God. And here's the thing. God Almighty is giving you himself. He could not give you anything greater than himself. And if he is willing to give you himself in the person of the Holy Spirit, he is willing to give you every good thing that you ask for. Maybe it's not the thing that you want, but it will be the thing that you need. And he is a father who absolutely loves you. So you can trust that even when he says no, that it's for your good. So what do we do? I would just beg you to be encouraged by the generous heart of God. You have a loving heavenly father who longs to bless you. So daily ask him for things. Ask him boldly, because even when he says, no, it's for your good, and don't be discouraged, but continue knowing that he loves you. I want to say just a word, if you are married, husbands, pray with your wives. Make it a daily commitment. I don't care if you do it on the phone on your lunch break, or I don't care if you do it in the morning or at night, but think about, we've just been giving the teaching of Christ None of us has an excuse. We can't say we don't know how. Jesus has told us how. And we can't feel like there's no point because Jesus has assured us that God hears and God does answer and blesses. So be encouraged. Would you commit, especially if if you are responsible for your home, would you commit to praying daily with your family? And and for those of you, I don't want to leave you who are single out. If you're a single person, would you commit to praying daily, just like Jesus taught us. And and I don't want to lay a burden of guilt. This is not, you have to do this, or you're a lousy Christian or a lousy person. This is a joy and a delight. This is a way to know God Almighty, and you will be so blessed, and I want you to be blessed. So would you commit to praying daily, as we've been taught? Let's pray right now. Our Father in heaven, we ask for your help. And Lord, we are confident that you will give it because of the promise of Christ. I pray that your Holy Spirit would burden our hearts with our need for prayer. But that as he burdens us, we would find the sweet joy of time with you. Lord, we are going to be discouraged at times. I pray that you would keep us faithful through that discouragement. I ask for your help and I know that you will give it. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.
as we turn and, and spend a few moments remembering the gift of Christ, there could be no greater way to prepare for communion than praying the Lord's Prayer. Because the Father is holy in the cross of Jesus Christ. He is shown to be just because he insists on punishing sin. And he is shown to be loving because he gave his son so that our sin could be punished and paid for for us. And so we are, we are honoring the name of our Father in heaven as we take communion remembering that he gave us his son. And knowing his love and knowing the love of Christ that he was willing to die on our behalf. We are proclaiming the death of Christ until he comes, as Jesus commanded us to do. And in that proclamation, we are spreading the good news of the kingdom, that the king has come, that he is ruling and reigning, and this is how he conquered. He conquered on the cross. We are remembering to repent of our sins as Jesus taught us to do. And I would urge you, if you need to forgive someone, you need to settle that in your heart before you take communion. And perhaps you need to wait and not take communion with us today so that you can be right with a brother or with a sister. And it's a time to ask the Lord, Father, you've given us your son. Now protect us. Lead us not into temptation. And as you receive the gift of God in this reminder of Jesus' body and blood, that itself will help you because you know the cost of your forgiveness. And as you think about what Jesus did for you, sin begins to lose its attraction. So we've prayed the Lord's Prayer this morning as we've looked through it in Scripture. I would urge you to take just a moment before I invite you up and to talk to the Lord directly, just you and God. And in just a moment, I'll lead us in prayer. I want to say a word. If you are visiting today, uh, if you are a believer and you are walking with the Lord, you are welcome to take communion with us. We we practice what's known as an open communion, so you don't need to be a member of our church. I would encourage you to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. We We are one body. We are one church. So I want to give you a few moments. Talk to the Lord, and then I'll, I'll lead us in prayer, and you'll be welcome to come take communion with us. Father in heaven, we want to say thank you first for your son, for his body, for his blood. I want to say thank you for this reminder, Lord. Sometimes, even if we have come to you and trusted in Jesus, sometimes we are prone to forget. And this reminder is such a blessing for the cost of our salvation. I ask that you bless us now as we remember. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me invite you to come remember what the Lord did for you.